this episode of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball it is pitchers and catchers report week and it is also tyler mon benjamin hill and sam dyscher report week as we report as we do weekly to this podcast Right, Ooh, you, that that was your best intro yet. That, that was great. <laughs> it only took me 450 episodes. <laughs> yeah, but finally you've, you've achieved perfection, and I I've nailed it. You. I gotta leave like George Costanza now. That's it for me. Go out on a high note. In in this scenario, how do you guys identify? Are you a pitcher or a catcher? Uh, um. Uh, you know, I, or what did uh, you envision yourself more as as like a kid coming up? Probably a pitcher. I've never had like I uh the the physical ability and like the dexterity, even nowadays, if I were to be like out with a you know, a kid in the backyard and he's throwing too many and wants me to like catch, yeah, yeah, catch my curveball, you know, like if my nephew's doing this, if I go into a catcher's crouch, if I squat for like two seconds, I get up and I'm like, oh, my knees are gonna hurt for a week now. That's what it is at 38 years old. Uh so I guess uh, I guess I'd be on the mound. Ben? What kind of pitcher? Not a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Even like when I pitched when I was a kid, uh, I didn't have, I could just locate. I didn't have anything. I could locate, which like when you're a kid, that's half the battle. Um, So I was like decent. But then I still vividly remember my freshman year of high school, first day of practice, our high school pitching coach goes, uh, we used to practice at Denver City Park. We didn't have our own field, so we would practice at City Park, which is this massive park. And uh, he's like, all right, pitchers with me. So we all walk over to the the pitcher's group and he goes, all right, first thing, give me a park lap. And I was like, oh, I'm at, this is pitcher. I'm actually, uh, I'm just a position player. And I just left and never ran and never pitched again. That's the story of my, uh, my pitching career. Ben, what would you be? You know, I never identified with either of those positions. I did make two appearances on the mound in uh, my Ambler junior baseball days. And in one of them, I had a three pitch inning, which I was just like, so impressed with myself. I, basically through these big, they're almost like EFIS pitches, not by design, but it was just like really all I had, but I was a very small kid. Um, I've since grown into a very hearty full grown man, but I was a kid, um, very small. And really all I ever identified with was uh second baseman and yeah. a little bit later, the outfield. I, I, I yeah, I, I couldn't catch, I couldn't throw um, at least in terms of playing those <laughs> positions whatsoever. Um, I had a good run though. I had a good one. What about you? You didn't answer. I didn't. Uh, I have played both. Uh, when I did like slow pitch softball, like my first year of college, the, the summer of with like a bunch of my high school buddies, I was a catcher. And I remember there was a play at the plate and I thought I was going to get Buster Posey. Like the, the um, legitimately came up to me. Yeah. I, I was like, Oh, there's going to be a play at the plate. The guy's rounding third, the ball's being relayed to home. Like I'm going to set myself up. I'm going to stick my leg out and I'm going to try to trip him up. And he's wow, just like, don't you do took that. it seriously. Yeah. He's like, don't, don't do that. You're going to get destroyed. <laughs> That's just not a good idea. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm trying to be a physical catcher. He's like, don't <laughs> in slow pitch softball, time. intramural yeah. slow pitch. Softball. That, that 40 year old is going to break your leg. Like he's, he does not care. <laughs> about your 19 year old that's incredible uh, uh i am uh on the verge of playing baseball again i'm this summer i'm gonna play in a in a men's league and the other day i got a text uh from like the dude it was like what positions uh do you play and i was like i haven't played in like 16 years and uh i'm not gonna play any position well so why don't you just tell me what you need and i'll do my best to hold it down as long as it's not shortstop uh pitching catching Really anything that's that. Center field, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, center field, no. You want to put me in a corner outfield spot, sure. That's about all. There we go. Yeah. I I still identify myself more as a pitcher, though. Like, I okay. still think of pitching more, maybe because yeah, there's I would see you like, more such an art to it. Yeah. Um, But I, even in Little League, I remember kids making fun of me for being like, you are the slowest pitcher <laughs> in this league. But yeah, at the time. It was Greg Maddox. Look at what he right. did. Well, see, I, my idol at the time was Tim Wakefield. Oh, I was like, okay. you can be a slow pitcher and make it to the big league. So I'm right. just, I'm leaning into this. I'm right. just throwing what you think are changeups the, the entire time or just knuckleballs. <laughs> that happens to be my fastball. Yeah. <laughs> Until I realized like for a knuckleball, you need good nails. And as a nail biter, uh, uh, that was not my thing. 
Let's uh, let's get rolling on this week's episode of the show before the show podcast. You can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com, by the way. We've gotten some cool emails as of late. Um, and let us know your questions, especially headed into the 2024 minor league season uh, as they pertain to prospects or whatever else. Uh, but let's kick things off with uh, our good pal Benjamin Hill, who's got a story up on uh, the site, the newsletter, and an interview that we're going to have here shortly talking about Bowling Green uh, it's the second straight week in which we've mentioned Bowling Green. And weirdly enough, last week we mentioned Bowling Green, and then I sent you guys a message on Instagram because it was the 10-year anniversary of when the sinkhole opened up under the Corvette Museum and swallowed all those cars, which was an eventual Bowling Green Hot Rods alternate identity. We had no idea that that was like an actual anniversary that was coming up, but that was kind of cool and timely. Yeah, ten, a decade has passed since uh, Sinkhole opened up under the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green and uh, swallowed a bunch of classic cars. That did inspire one of their uh, one of their all time best alternate identities, the Sinkholes. And uh, now the Bowling Green Hot Rods are at it again with the Cavemen. So, uh, like, we're in a time when everybody seems to be rebooting Cavemen. The folks at Geico also, and that's not a paid plug, unfortunately. We take that insurance money. But what's Bowling Green doing? It's probably a lot more inventive than Geico. Well, I mean, we'll get into that because I spoke to uh, General Manager Kyle Wohls all about the Caveman identity. It's their third cave-related identity if you tie in sinkholes, which is part of the, uh, you know, that subterranean ecosystem in the area. But uh, the team has also done a cave shrimp identity, which was uh, actually the first ever what could have been promotion in minor league baseball, uh, which, you know, caught on over the years. They were, of course, the sinkholes and uh, now they're the cavemen. So um, I just like that backstory of the caves in Bowling Green, um, the way the ballpark was built um, so as not to potentially run into a sinkhole and, you know, lose a lot of time and money and uh, the way the team still is able to celebrate that. So, yeah, I, I talked to Kyle Wohl's general manager all about it. The Bowling Green Hot Rods have a new identity, alternate identity, the Bowling Green Cavemen. And like all minor league alternate identities, there's a story behind it. So we have Kyle Wohl's, the general manager of the Bowling Green Hot Rods, here to talk about it. Kyle, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So Bowling Green, cavemen. I mean, everyone knows what a caveman is, our uh, prehistoric ancestors. But in Bowling Green, uh, it's not just cavemen, as in a prehistoric club-wielding figure. Uh, there's a dual meaning to this. Can you go into uh, why Bowling Green is suiting up as the cavemen? Yeah, you know, when <clears throat> uh, we were brainstorming this idea, I guess it would have been toward the end of 2022, um, given our timelines nowadays. Um, Eric, our former president at the time, myself, and then Ashley Wilson, I were sitting down and thinking of uh, what you know, creative, uh, unique idea that we could come up with for an alternate identity. You know, we play as the Bowling Green Bootleggers, which was 2016 uh, promo of the year, um, and then you know, we also last year played as the Bowling Green Hot Dogs. So we were. Uh, you know, just trying to think of something creative, something that ties into Kentucky to Bowling Green. Um, and we came up with the Bowling Green Cavemen, uh, you know, to pay tribute to the natural wonders uh, that are in uh, Kentucky. Uh, we have Mammoth Cave uh, Cave System about uh, 20 miles up, up the road, uh, which is the largest cave system in the world. Uh, we also have um, here just in our backyard is Lost River Cave um probably less than you know five minute drive from the ballpark so um they're pretty unique features you know that you know make up kentucky um and it was something that we thought was a great idea to kind of play on to of like on the what could have been promotion you know you, we talked about um earlier that we at one point in time we could have been the bowling green cave shrimp that was a, a name thrown around before we became the hot hot rods um, you know, we've done the hot dogs, we've, do, we've done the bootleggers. And so coming up with another unique brand and identity um, has been, uh, you know, fun and excited to roll it out. Yeah. So cavemen, there's obviously the immediate visual of a caveman, the prehistoric figure. And then obviously there's the backstory that you just you just explained. So in terms of creating a visual for this, um, you know, what did you want to end up with in terms of things that maybe, you know, combined or uh, had reference to both of those things, the obvious caveman connection and then as well as Bowling Green's history with uh, the caves themselves? 
Yeah, so we work with a designer, uh, Brandon LaMarche with 3-2 Designs, and he does a fabulous job with all of our brands. And um, we gave him kind of some some of our inspiration of, you know, like, hey, this is, might be what we're looking for. This might not. Um, you know, we wanted to do like a prehistoric caveman and we didn't want to copy the, um, you know, the trends of nowadays when, you know, you see it on TV commercials and so forth. So wanted to be a little unique, um, obviously holding um you can look at it either way, a slag tighter slag might bat um, and, and is also around his feet. Uh, but the, those features you also see on the jersey um, that we'll wear this year. And um, <clears throat> so when we're when we're looking at, you know, coming up with our inspiration on it, we, you know, that's kind of where we were at. <clears throat> we the colors from it, you know, not no significant tie. We really wanted something that popped. Um, and so we um, thought, you know, more of a neon, um, even though. You, you don't really see much of that in the cave system, but wanted to be a little untraditional in a sense with that. Yeah. And, you know, I meant to look this up before we started talking, but stalagmite, stalactite, which one is pointing up and which one's pointing down? You, you know, I, I get confused with them all the time as well. Um, that's something that usually I have to Google every time somebody asks me, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's, it's a unique feature. You can see it in both the, in the Jersey where, um, based on how the color is highlighted, um, and, uh, you can see them, um, you, you know, the kind of the, the downward trajectory as well as the upward trajectory on those. Yeah. And so you'll play as the caveman on multiple occasions in 2024, mm -hmm. possibly beyond, but one season at a time. Um, how far down the road have you gotten and thinking, you know, what, what are ways we're going to build upon this identity, what fans can see at the ballpark, uh, you know, any partnerships with local caves? I don't know how it works, um, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, we're still in the process of finalizing the promo calendar and, you know, we're going to play at least twice as the cavemen. Um, and, you know, we're working with both of the um, caves uh, around here with Mammoth Cave and especially Lost River Cave. Um, if you saw our promo video uh, when we released it, we actually filmed that in Lost River Cave. Um, and so we have a great partnership with them. They're a local nonprofit um, as well. So, uh, you know, opportunity to be able to help support with them and uh, help them showcase, you know, their programs and what they have to offer. Um, it's exciting to, you know, roll something out to be able to give back as well uh, to help within the community. And, you know, we're excited. We're still putting the final touches on it. Uh, we we are working up something something extra special uh, for the last one. Um, can't necessarily roll that out yet, but um, you know it'll be toward the latter part of the season. Uh, that one, and we'll announce that hopefully soon. Yeah, and this is obviously a, a road uh, you've explored before, or a tunnel, or I'm not sure what the the cave exploration term is. But you know, as we you already mentioned. The Bowling Green Cave Shrimp was one of the uh, original identities in the Name the Team contest that ended up with uh, Hot Rods, and you've, you know, since the team has since gone on and uh, had a Cave Shrimp identity on occasion. Um, then, of course, there was the Bowling Green Sinkholes, um, mm -hmm. dedicated to the Corvette Museum that had a sinkhole open up underneath it, and a bunch of classic cars went in. Um, so I think now this is, if I'm not mistaken, kind of cave or local. Uh, geology um identity number three uh along these lines i mean have you thought how much further it can go or do you think you're just only thinking about the cavemen right now right now you know we're focused on the cavemen um you know there there are some thoughts in the back of our minds that we have floated around nothing that's really um you know sat with us um like oh we really need to do this um but you know and we get the question a lot um, and, you know, this is kind of part of the reason, one of the reasons why they kind of inspired this is um, about the uh, the ballpark and the facility where it's built. Um, as you saw when we made the announcement, um, it, it's very unique uh, to have locker rooms in the outfield. Um, and part of that's because, um, according to legend, um, that they you know said that when they were building the ballpark, the developers didn't want to dig deep too deep because they feared that we were built on a cave system. So. You know, your traditional ballparks where you come out of the clubhouse and walk right into the dugout, um, you know, that doesn't happen here. Um, our, our clubhouses are located in center field. They come through the center field gate um, and, you know, definitely was able to be a unique tie to to the brand um, and, you know, what we were looking at.
Yeah, that's the next thing I actually wanted to hit on is the unique ballpark architecture because of potential sinkholes. I like that you say legend has it as if we're talking about something uh, hundreds and thousands of years ago. <laughs> yeah, it kind of ties into the caveman-esque. <laughs> yeah, so it's all part of the legend. Are you aware for sure um, that the ballpark is on sinkholes or is it more that um, that mindset of, hey, there's a lot of them around here and you know we should be cautious? I think it's more so the mindset, um, you know, that's prior to my time with the team. I got here in 2014, um, <clears throat> so I'm not really sure. Uh, it's just from what I've been educated on about the ballpark's history um, leading up to, um, you know, now. Um, we, we, there have been conversations about that, and I think it's more so it's just the fear of if we dig too deep, you know, what are we going to get into um, type thing. And um you know, it just kind of makes it a unique story to tell. Yeah, I can't think of any other minor league ballparks that are potentially placed atop sinkholes, and it's a pretty cool claim to fame, if not maybe a little uh, unsettling for for you as an operator <laughs> yeah. uh, to constantly be wondering if uh, this is the game in which uh, the field gets swallowed up or something along those lines. <laughs> right. But it'd be good publicity, so that's the main thing. Um, and I think to, to close it out, I mean, you've mentioned several of the um, – alternate identities that the team has done. You know, you had a lot of success with bootleggers over the last couple of years. We mentioned the cave, well, of course, the cavemen, but the cave shrimp, the um, sinkholes. Uh, bottom line is that the Bowling Green Hot Rods is an organization, I think more than most teams, has embraced alternate identities. And what is it about this promotional uh, concept or trend uh, that has really spoken to you as an organization? Yeah, you know, it's, that's the, one of the greatest things about working in minor league baseball is the, the untraditional theme nights um, as well as, you know, you have your traditional ones with princess and pirate um, and um, you know, wizard night, star Wars night and so forth. But to be able to come roll out a unique concept, a different brand identity, uh, it really allows you to get the creative juices flowing for our, our entire front office. You know, we're, we're including them in all the meetings and discussing, uh, you know, how can we execute this properly? What do we need to do? Making sure we're checking all the boxes. And uh, th that's the best thing about, like I said, minor league baseball is that you get those unique brands, unique identities. They're like the one-offs. And uh, we really enjoy being able to, you know, execute that um, and and showcase, you know, what, you know, we, we could have been um, as well as, you know, just a, um, <clears throat> a unique experience at the ballpark that night. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the focus now being uh, the Bowling Green Cave men. Uh, hopefully it'll really catch on throughout the community and uh, throughout minor league baseball. Um, it's already an underground success. I mean, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we sold some merchandise already um, quite quite a bit, actually. You know, we're just on a pre-sale stage because uh, we don't have it in hand, but um, it, it's really kind of starting to take off for us and we're excited to see where it continues to go. Well, well, looking forward to seeing the cavemen on the field and uh, looking forward to seeing the inevitable next alternate identity down the line, uh, whenever that may be. So Kyle Wolves, general manager of Bowling Green Hot Rods, soon to be temporary general manager of the Bowling Green Cavemen. Thanks so much for uh, joining me today on the show before the show podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, Bowling Green, very good creativity from the, uh, the Bowling Green Hot Rods, who uh, will take flight not really it's not really a term that you can apply to cavemen uh but they will uh take the field as the bowling green cavemen here in 2024 uh i like the look it's kind of a different color scheme than what we're uh used to seeing from bowling green i like it though they do such a good job with all this stuff yeah and this is the way my mind works and this is very dumb and there's no actual tie-in but i've seen of cavemen and trying to make puns and the hot rods are a Rays affiliate and uh you know, isn't there, was it president of baseball operations, Neander? Oh, Eric Neander. <laughs> Eric yeah. Neander. Oh, yeah. Eric like, Neander. You get like Eric Neander to throw out a first pitch when you're the caveman because you're a Rays affiliate. And like he's, well, his last name is well on the way to Neanderthal. And then I'm like, what is your, what are you even talking about? <laughs> Just stop. But I do uh, love the way the... one's mind works when they're in this world for too long. <laughs> 
I do love that they, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, how like every team has a logo that has a character swinging something as a, as a baseball bat. That's like a, you know, a tried and true baseball staple, but I do love like the caveman works so perfectly because the club that the caveman is swinging in the Bowling Green alternate, like that's the thing that you see in every caveman illustration ever anyway, that works perfectly. It's very odd sometimes when you see like, Oh, here's this, you know, I don't know. Here's this chicken swinging a chicken bone, and that doesn't make any sense. But uh, this works perfectly for Bowling Green. Yeah, although I think you can swing anything you want and call it a bat. You know, it doesn't have to be made of wood. And who knows what a caveman's club was made out of? I mean, did they even use clubs? I mean, or did we just really create that stereotype? Yeah. Hmm. Walking around clubbing everything. Grow up. All right, man. Uh, well, someone in the in the same ish kind of region, uh, the Appalachian League has a, uh, a new identity in 2024. You got a chance to story, uh, chance to write a story about uh, the Appy League's newest squad, the Tri-State Coal Cats, uh, which is kind of like Cool Cats, which is fitting because I like their logo. Uh, what are the three states involved in Tri-State for the Coal Cats, Ben? Pop quiz, yeah. hot shot. Yeah, Tri-State. You know, I when I wrote this story, I think I wrote Tri-City inadvertently a number of times and then had to go back and make sure I wasn't doing that. Because there used to be multiple Tri-City teams in minor league baseball. We used to have the Valley Cats and the Dust Devils, and now there's just one with the Dust Devils. But yeah, there used to be multiple Tri-City and a Quad Cities franchise. Now we have a Tri-State. Yeah, and Tri uh, City Valley Cats are still around in uh, independent ball, but yeah, not an affiliated. And um, yeah, the Appalachian League is not affiliated anymore. So I was glad to get a chance to write about them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always looking to cover partner league stuff as well as affiliated stuff. And I hope there'll be more room for that in the future, but try state to get back to your question, Tyler, try state. The team is based in Huntington, West Virginia, and the other two States are Ohio and Kentucky. It's like Southern Ohio and uh, you know, a portion of Kentucky there. Uh, Huntington is, located at the confluence of two rivers. One of them's the Ohio River. One's the name I can't remember. It was like the Guyon Dot. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. But yeah, there's those other two states right there. And, um, you know, in talking to the team, um, two of their front office members, Jason Camp and Sean Collins, you know, they, they were just saying we didn't want this just to be Huntington's team, but because we're so close to those states and want to draw from the rest of the re- other regions, uh, we will also be, you know, we will call ourselves uh, Tri-State. The Colcats name, the Tri-State Colcats, is a reference to, you guessed it, coal, coal mine. Uh, there's a lot of uh, coal. There's still coal industry in that area today, but obviously in the past it was pretty much what uh, the, that economy relied on, and you know what accounted for the population growth, you know, in those areas first and foremost. So you know they're throwing it back to the past, you know, referencing the working class roots of the area. I think they're cats just because it sounds good after coal. You know, coal cats. You know, you got the sounds like cool cats. You got the alliteration. It's a it's a pretty sharp logo, um, and they're one of the primary colors is green. It's Marshall Green because they will be playing at a new ballpark um, that's being built right now. It will open in time for Marshall, uh, the Marshall baseball season, and um, so it'll be one of those arrangements where the Marshall was it the thundering herd, the thundering herd. Yeah. The thundering the herd play their season. This is their first on-campus uh, ballpark ever. You know, I, I, they had played elsewhere in the past, so they'll do their season. They'll finish up. And uh, then the uh, Cole cats will come in and play the Appy league season. That is now a 48 game season that starts in early June and runs through July. Um, you know, comprise summer collegiate. Uh, comprised of you know younger college players, I believe it's mostly like rising freshmen and sophomores. Um, so it's a it's a nice dual usage for that facility, I'm sure, in building it and with all the associated costs, they wanted to uh, you know get the most bang for their buck and the most revenue coming back in uh, through the facility. So to have an Appy League team take the field right after the college team makes a lot of sense. And um, Huntington is you know replacing Princeton in the Appy League, Princeton, West Virginia. A couple of weeks ago, we had a longtime Princeton Rays general manager, Jim Holland, on the show. And, you know, he gave a lot of uh, you know, information about what Princeton, West Virginia was like. And it's sad to see that uh, town lose its Appy League team after uh, quite a few, about three decades, even more. Um, 
but there's a new future in Huntington, which also used to have Appy League Baseball in uh, 1990 through 1995. So it marks the return after almost 30 years of Appy League Baseball to Huntington. Um, one of the cool things in the Colcats logo uh, is there is a, a, a logo of just a paw, a cat's paw. And then like the four little paw pads, it actually says it's they're made out to resemble TSCC for Tri-State Colcats. And it's subtle. You know, you don't just it doesn't just jump out at you. Yeah, but, uh, I'm looking at that right nice now. Cool it's very cool. I see Tyler is a, a longtime logo Easter egg aficionado uh, nodding in appreciate appreciation. And yeah. uh, the logos were designed like uh, in-house by Marshall University, uh, their head lead graphic designer, Dylan Winters. Um, you know, so it, it all ties together. Also, uh, there is a line in here that um, the conversation, Jason Camp, who's the general manager, uh, made a comment that, uh, and I would have never known this. He said, we went round and round with Marshall and their creative team about what we were going to go with. They are going to have one of only two cybersecurity schools in the nation. So we talked about, for instance, the cyber ninjas and those types of things. But we really wanted to bring it back that this is a blue collar town, blue collar area. It's about mountains and coal and the generations that have worked hard to create this community very cool but i think we know our what if night identity for the cool yes yeah, cyber ninjas <laughs> it's funny that's really cool they're opening yeah this full-on cyber security facility at marshall uh one of very few in the entire united states it's a cool thing but when he said that i was also like even though that's so modern and looking toward the future cyber ninjas also to me sounds like like something from like the late 90s yeah absolutely like, like that would have been in that movie the net yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, they're hacking into the mainframe, these cyber ninjas. What? Yeah. What does that mean now? Yeah, the movie Lawnmower Man comes to mind, even though I remember nothing about that movie, but just these early visions of like the internet and uh, the cyber world. There's something about the word cyber that feels kind of dated. Yeah, a little know? dated. It's like when people say surfing the net, you're like, that's uh, this is in 1998 we're having this conversation. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. The cybersphere. Used... Remember the term blogosphere? The blogosphere. I want the blogosphere to come back. That was that was one of my favorite spheres in internet history. So, of all the spheres, that was a good one. Uh, well, the story on the tri-state coal cats is up at MLB.com right now. And uh, Benjamin Hill, um, good stuff as always. Uh, tell the good folks where they can find the newsletter at all newsletter at all uh well you can subscribe to that through the uh newsletter registration page and i do not have that url on me but uh it's it a is, newsletter uh, sphere yeah the newsletter sphere the but please subscribe to the ben's biz beat it is uh the, the link for it is pinned on my twitter account at ben's biz uh instagram me ben's biz I'm writing for MILB.com. I'm writing for MLB. I'm on this podcast. I think most people know where to find me, but please consume as much of my content in the Benosphere as you are able. <laughs> okay, before we wrap this up, though, um, Ben's got a quiz for us, Sam, and uh, I'm obviously going to whoop you, as we are all aware. But uh, all right, Ben, well, let's let's hear it. All right, yeah, I, I was thinking we were a little thin on this week's contest, so this is a pretty similar this week's contest, this week's podcast. <laughs> so I thought I'd uh, put together a little quiz for you guys. Uh, please play along at home. I will give you a team name, a, a, the, a name of a defunct minor league team, and you have to say what current team oh. that is. And it's not super complex. I didn't go okay. back like four or five locations. It was the location of that minor league team before it moved to its current, currently operational Ooh. location. Mm. So I have 10 of okay. these. Uh, I thought you were going to give us like, we'll give you the team name. You have to give us the geographic, you know, like we talked about uh, the red sticks that were in Columbus, Georgia. We have to be like, Columbus. But yeah. okay, well, you this, know, this I, I think we'll do. Yeah, we, we can, can do that too. Bring that coming in up. at some point. Some of these I think are fairly obvious. Some not so much. Um I don't know if I should switch back and forth or I just say the first person to answer gets the points. Two points if you just get the answer right away. One point if I no one can get it and I give the league and someone gets it. And we'll okay. try to keep it quick, quick, okay. quick moving. Okay. I'm not looking at your paper, by the way. No, and I'm holding it away from Sam. Yeah. All right. Let's start Nails. with the Edmonton Trappers. Oh. 
Tyler. Uh, is that Salt Lake now? Incorrect. Dang it. Sam, do you have a guess? Uh, Edmonton Trappers would be... Oh, I'm swinging and missing here. Uh, the one that came to mind was the El Paso Chihuahuas. All right, it is a PCL team. So for one point, one more quick guess. I'm going to go with the Fresno Grizzlies. Incorrect. Dang it. Albuquerque Isotopes? Incorrect. Ugh. Sacramento Rivercats. The Round Rock Express. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think this All is right. going to be uh, not good. Gonna be tough. Not this is going to be tough. <laughs> Sam and I are tied at zero. <laughs> and also the fact that you said PCL and Tyler was, said Fresno. We went down like half the team. Oh, yeah. That's California League. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Oh, yeah. Well, I was thinking when, when Edmonton moved, that I had was a thought. PCL franchise, Fresno, yes. which yeah. is now, of course. I had the same thought. Fresno Grizzlies actually would have been my second guess yeah. had you not said P- PCL. But yeah. anywho. All right, how about this one? The Orlando Rays. I have a thought, but the thought that I have is a team that no longer exists, so it's not them. Yeah. Were uh, you also thinking Port Charlotte? I was, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking the Charlotte Stone Crabs. Yeah, this is a tough one. So now for one point, because I got to get you out of the FSL. It's the oh. Southern, Southern League. Yeah, it's the Southern League. I knew it was the Southern League. Because in the rookie, he pitches for Orlando before he goes to Durham. Oh, right. Right, right, right. Um, it's a Southern League team. The Montgomery Tyler. Biscuits. Correct. Oh, it one was point. the obvious one just sitting there? Okay, fine. One point for Tyler. Yes! All right. Four Taking numbers. my big one nothing lead. Insurmountable, yeah. Sam. I should have yeah. said Montgomery because I was thinking like, well, that's the Rays affiliate, but how long have the Biscuits been around for? All right. This one, I'm going to admit, Tyler might have an edge on this one. Danville 97s. Myrtle Beach Pelicans. <laughs> yeah, baby. That should count for one. That should count for one because he already had he had the internal hint. And previously were the Durham Bulls. No, that wasn't Bulls. fair. You're right. They were previously the Durham Bulls. They moved to Danville for one season in 1997. Uh, and then they moved to Myrtle Beach back when Durham was uh, an A-ball team. Anyway. Yeah. Which also All right. We can wipe that. I get it, Sam. It's fine. Right. If this comes yeah. down to uh we'll review, you can we'll, play this we'll under review. protest. Yeah. yeah. Southwest <laughs> Michigan. Protest. You are near the commissioner's actual office. You can just yeah. 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 Know upstairs. We can right just head that. right up to the seventh <laughs> floor. I do it all the time. He's mitigating all my disputes these days. Uh the Southwest Michigan Devil Rays. Yes. Um Tyler. The Great Lakes Loons. Correct. Yes. Yes. Also, there's like a, there's a very weird, like a Southwest Michigan something. There's a weird, one of the weirdest minor league team logos of all time. It's like a weird letter M. That was a a team located in Michigan. It's like an angry, like a cat, but it's a letter M. I think that's the Battle Cats. The Battle Cats. I think that was the Battle Cats. Yeah. That's a weird one. Yeah. That's that's Battle Creek. uh... Battle Creek. Yeah. Okay. Tough one. Southern Oregon Timberjacks. Southern Oregon Timberjacks. The Hillsborough Hops? Incorrect. They were the Yakima Bears. Oh, that's right. The Southern Oregon Timberjacks. They are currently still a minor league affiliated club? Yep, every one of these. So it's not like a Pioneer League team. Nope. Southern Oregon Timberjacks. Was it Jacks with two X's? It, it should was have not. been if it wasn't. Um, J-A-C-K. I am going to go with the... Um, uh, man, I don't know. I got no idea. Cal League team, I'm assuming? Vancouver Canadians. Oh, interesting. Remember, there was a PCL Canadians that right. played in 1999. They relocated, and I can't remember off the top of my head where they relocated to, but then the Southern Oregon Timberjacks filled the void in Vancouver, and they started their Northwest League history there. Okay. I got to look up uh, that logo. Oh, yeah, that logo. The the guy swinging in, like, the very 80s pullover-looking uniform with the Sansa belt pants. Swinging the bat in the mountains. Sorry, that was a very like. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, please continue. 
Sarasota Reds. Daytona Tortugas? Incorrect. Sarasota Reds. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Bradenton Marauders. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Because they were in Bradenton yeah, as a spring right training facility for a minute. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. I I I yeah. I was going Reds to Reds and I completely forgot the Daytona Cubs. Yeah. Existence. All right. Yeah. Yeah. With the surfboard. Shreveport Swamp Dragons. Oh, this one I feel like we've talked about recently. We have. Um uh, uh Shreveport Swamp Dragons. Uh, oh man, this one's gonna drive me nuts because I feel like we've had this discussion Texas relatively League. recently. Texas League mm -hmm. is it the Springfield Cardinals? It is not. Sam, you have a guess? Get on the board. Uh, uh, oh, I know who it is. I think North Ar Northwest Arkansas Naturals. Incorrect. They were the oh. Wichita Wranglers. We have the Frisco Rough Riders. Oh, I was gonna guess Northwest Arkansas also. Okay. I was just trying to think of teams we talked about recently. Right. And teams that are like yeah. somewhat close in that area. Yeah. The Nashua Pirates. The New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Incorrect. No, Dang it. They moved. They moved from elsewhere. The Portland oh, yeah, they... Incorrect. It's the Eastern League. That is the Harrisburg Senators. Oh, the... okay. Pirates. Interesting. All right. Two more. Still a chance for you on the board, Sam. <laughs> Still a chance for you to at least get one of these. This is tricky as I'm going through this. Yeah, this is a tricky. I like this quiz. This is fun. I like this quiz too. The Charleston Charlies. Augusta Green Jackets. Incorrect. The Charleston Charlies, because the West Virginia Power have used a Charleston Charlies logo as their logo. They have. Uh, no but the Charleston Charlies are no longer. Are the Charleston Charlies the? Well, I'll give you a uh, you guys a league hint, international league. Oh, the Norfolk Tides. Incorrect. Dang it! They used to be the Tidewater Tides, which was the same area. Anyway, Jacksonville know. Jumbo Shrimp. Incorrect. The Columbus Columbus Clippers. Doing it. I was going to guess that. Yeah, there was the Columbus Jets in the international league. They yeah. left, went to Charleston. And became the Charlies for however number many years. There you go. Tyler's holding up the Columbus Jets hat. And then that franchise relocated back to Columbus to become the Clippers. So when okay. Columbus, Charleston, back to Columbus. Which, which Charleston are we talking about here? West, West Virginia. West Virginia. All right. One more. I don't want to editorialize, but you guys are <laughs> going to get this one. So be quick. Piedmont Bull Weevils. I think that is the rome emperors incorrect dang it oh i thought you're gonna get it man this is tough this is a good quiz uh i do remember when i was a kid that was like on the minor league baseball hat poster i remember that one i was like oh that bowl weevil i don't even know what that is yeah uh, i know there's Sam looks like he's pouring sweat. He looks like that gif of Jordan Peele from Key and Peele. <laughs> That's what Sam looks like right now. Like his hair is uh, all disheveled. It's on the tip of my tongue and I'm so annoyed. Uh, Sam, you can admit defeat. It's okay. No, no. I want to get this one. <laughs> Piedmont. Uh, Piedmont. I, I, I'll go to, back to Augusta's Green Jackets. The Canapolis. Ah, oh, cannonballers. Yeah, formerly Intimidators. Piedmont Bull Weevils. And, uh... But you know what? Now that I think about it, that was a bad that was a bad choice because I don't think there was a relocation involved there. I just think they changed the name from representing Piedmont to Canapolis. Well, well it's a, it was a former oh, okay. name. Yeah, but that okay. I was trying to go for relocation. It's not my best work there. Um, Man, that's even good. taking away, you know, I, I shouldn't have had one on there. I put this together quickly. I shouldn't have had one on here, you know, that – about Myrtle Beach Pelicans with a formal uh, Pelicans broadcast from the house. But even taking that away, uh, Tyler. I does. still won by the whopping score of one to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there are people playing at home who did significantly better. No. Although we can't prove that. And they can't prove that to us. No. Exactly. Because exactly. I'm going to just assume they were 
Google. Right. Google. But this is a good lesson. I'll think of more categories. And yeah. I love doing this. I'll try to like it. This is one of my favorite things we do now on the pod. Yeah. Are these little quizzes? But yeah. And to- if, if you want to go see a super weird logo, uh, go look up that Michigan Battle Cats logo. Uh, evidently, the uh, the Battle Cats uh, that was a name that returned to Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, in the form of an alternate identity for the Battle Creek Bombers, who were uh, in the Northwoods League. I don't know, but anyway, if you look up the uh, the OG Battle Cats logo, that is a weird logo. Very weird logo. The Michigan Battle Cats. <laughs> yeah. It's always about Battle Creek. I've heard people say that before. Very Those who worked thing. there never forgot it. They also were previously known as the Madison Hatters in Madison, Wisconsin. And ah, that's they, a great name. They appear to have a logo of a mouse wearing a big top hat leaning on a block of cheese. But it's like a block of Swiss cheese, which isn't really what Wisconsin is known for. That's a whole, man. What a logo history in uh, between the Battle Cats and the uh, and the Hatters. Because the Hatters makes you think of Alice in Wonderland, right? With the Mad Hatter was just a person, right? Right. With a big hat and yeah, you know, that's true. A, a little loony. But is the mouse like a link to like the white mouse from the that led Alice into the? Oh, maybe. And then maybe. they they want cheese and mice like cheese. Therefore, uh, it doesn't even really say that the hatter's name it doesn't really explain the i mean that's what they're going for they're going for the mad hatters yeah the mad hatters i guess so we don't need to overthink this it's a little weird they also uh they took the place of a team called the madison muskies which also has a very 1980s graphic logo um all right anyway uh, that was fantastic. I think we should do more of those. Benjamin Hill, you can find uh, all over the social medias, as he noted, at Ben's Biz and the Ben's Biz on uh, the website formerly known as Twitter.com and Instagram as well. And uh, you can check out all this stuff at MLB.com uh, and MILB.com. Good stuff, Ben, as always. Uh, hey, you gotta, thanks. You got to tone it down on the intellect level because Sam and I aren't that smart. Yeah, I realized that. You know, I, I came in respecting you guys. <laughs> yeah, I realized that. I realized that by the end of it, I respected you too much, and that's <laughs> that's my biggest takeaway. So, um, live and learn. Live and that learn. is, yeah, that is. Uh, yeah. Do not give these guys too much respect. That yeah, it's played out. Uh, yep. Well, I'll be coming in next week with reduced respect, and then we'll continue to calibrate as we proceed. <laughs> Who are the next Jacksonville week. Suns now? Any guesses? Yeah. Next week, it'll just be like, where did the Pawtucket Red Sox go? <laughs> what are they called now? Uh, uh, thanks, Ben. Thank you, guys. Rolling along on this week's episode of the show before the show, uh, it's spring training time. And uh, obviously, the excitement continues to build for the 2024 Major League and Minor League season. And as part of that excitement, uh, today, and we are recording this on February 15th, uh, Major League Baseball announced a broadcast schedule for the inaugural spring breakout games uh, that will showcase some of the top prospects in baseball. Each Major League team will field a team of top prospects to play a team of top prospects from another organization in exhibition games. Uh, there is a promotional video out, video out uh, voiced by uh, Orioles all-star, former top overall prospect Adley Rushman, which kind of gives you an idea of what fans can expect uh, during the spring breakout uh, inaugural edition. The rosters will be uh, announced live on MLB Network on Thursday, March 7th. Uh, with Matt Baskersian and Harold Reynolds, um, and some spring breakout participants will be on MLB tonight, that night. Uh, but all kinds of fun games are ahead, uh, and the broadcast schedule announced. Uh, spring breakout games will be carried live, basically all of them will be carried live and blackout free uh, on MLB.com, MLB TV, and the MLB app. And the network will have five games live as well. Uh, Sam, there is a lot, obviously, um, to pair out of this uh, new initiative. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we've got some Q and A formatted uh, stuff up on the site uh, and MLB pipeline uh, in the breakout frequently asked questions and also a prospect to keep an eye on uh, for some teammates uh, who could be headed to uh, or some prospects, I should say, that should could be headed to spring breakout. Um, but give us, you know, the excitement for this is pretty obvious. What are some things that really 
highlight this from your vantage point as being somebody who's going to get a chance, obviously, to to cover this and to see it all come together? Yeah, I mean, for one, I think having the broadcast schedule out there is huge. Uh, that was one of the things that I got a lot of questions about on social media when spring breakout was first announced. And there were a lot of things happening behind the scenes in terms of trying to get, you know, or trying to determine what games would be covered by the network and which games would be covered by RSNs and all that kind of stuff, because we want as many people to watch these games as possible. Right. Um, the whole point is getting these prospects on a big stage and getting fan bases to watch them. So the fact that, Virtually all of these games, there are some that are still TBD. There are some that unfortunately won't be uh, broadcast. But for the most part, every game is going to be on TV in some way or online in some way. Um, so that's super exciting that a lot of people are going to be able to get see get to see these prospects up and close. Uh, one of the other things that stands out to me too, and this is part of that FAQ story that I wrote for MLB Pipeline, uh, are the rules that are... Are going to be incorporated into spring breakout uh starting with it is a seven inning game um it is an exhibition a lot of these guys are minor leaguers who are not reporting now you know as as pitchers and catchers are like we were talking about earlier or position players shortly so they're going to be ramping up it's a shorter game limit the opportunity for injuries uh but teams can agree to do a nine inning game if they so choose uh that's more likely in games that are like that is the one game of the day and not part of a doubleheader with the major league spring training game. So the Padres and Mariners have already decided uh, and agreed with themselves that they will be doing a nine inning game. So that's super exciting. That's one thing to, to just kind of note. Um, one other thing is that the ABS challenge system will be coming to select games uh, in, in spring breakout. Those are specifically ones that are uh, FSL, Parks, so Bradenton, Fort Myers with the Twins, not with the Red Sox, uh, Jupiter, Port St. Lucie, and Tampa, and then Salt River Fields at Talking Stick, which used the ABS system in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, so it'll be three challenges per team per game, and if you win your challenge, you get the ball back, or you get you get it back. Uh, so you keep going until you have three unsuccessful challenges. This is something we've talked about in AAA, in the Florida State League, in the AFL. I think everybody who has seen it likes it. Uh, because it's not full B ABS, it's not a robot umpire the entire game. It's just trying to correct what teams feel like are the mistakes. And they happen pretty quickly. It's the pitcher, the catcher, or the batter. They're the only ones who can challenge a call. They simply tap their head or their helmet. It gets put on the big screen. Everybody can see it. And it's over pretty quick. I it mean, is it's very not... slick. I mean, it's the type of thing yeah. like when you see video of it, you're like, oh, Oh, that works really smoothly. Like it's not something right. where uh, they go under the hood and yeah, there's no monitor review. involved. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's pretty instantaneous, uh, and it helps right calls happen. And also, one of my favorite things is figuring out team strategy uh, with the ABS challenge system because you might have like the first pitch of the game you think is two feet outside and is called a strike. But do you want to use it that early? Because if you if it's unsuccessful, you've lost a challenge on literally the first pitch. Right, so right. Uh, teams try to try to hoard them for later innings. But if you really, really think it's a ball and it was called a strike, you might try it early. It's it, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of works out. But because these are all prospects, some of them may have already used the challenge system. So this isn't fully new to all of these folks. Um, so. It might be new for some fans. It might not be, but that's something that'll be coming. Uh, the three batter minimum, not a thing in, in spring breakout. We're trying to get as many pitchers involved in some cases. Um, so, you know, if you get brought in for one pitch for one batter so that another pitcher can be showcased, not a problem for this. There's also player reentry, um, which I wrote, like think of this as the Otani rule. If a pitcher's taken out, of a game, he can come back in later in the game. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to, at least the rule as I saw it was written, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, as a batter, even though I called it the Otani rule. But, I mean, it, it feels like it's kind of written for two-way players. Somebody like earlier in the week we thought would have been Reggie Crawford of the San Francisco Giants, but he's announced that, or the Giants have announced that he's going to be pitching only. But there's some other two-way guys out there that this could affect. So something to keep an eye on with that as well. Uh, it's keeping the back of your mind. There will be a pitch timer. There will be pitch calm. 
there's only seven mound visits per game, but uh, just some of the little different rules that are going to be involved in spring breakout. And it's another opportunity to put those front and center in a big game like this, that normally by mid-March, everybody's, I don't want to say tuned out, but the excitement of spring is starting to wane a little bit as we wait for opening day to come around the corner. And this injects a little bit of energy right back into it. So stay locked uh, for the roster announcements coming up on March 7th of 2024. And uh, Sam, uh, as we're headed towards spring training, we are kind of getting into that uh, spot of the spring now where you think like, okay, well, among the guys that I'm most excited to see from a prospect standpoint, who might be somebody who I'm going to see on a big league roster, whether it's at uh, opening day this year or shortly into the season. Uh, You guys have a story up at MLB Pipeline right now. Uh, 30 prospects to watch in big league camp, one from each team. Uh, There are, you know, the big names out there. I mean, obviously everybody knows that there is a very good chance that we're going to be seeing uh, Jackson Holiday on uh, the Orioles roster come opening day, if not in very short order afterwards. But who are some of the more uh, interesting guys, maybe lesser known guys uh, or intriguing storylines for spring training this year? Yeah, the way we wrote this story was to kind of avoid the guys who we know are going to be on opening day rosters who are still prospects. So Evan Carter, Jackson Churio, those types, Mason Wynn, Nolan Shanuel, like guys who are virtual locks to make their major league opening day roster. We didn't want to write about that. Jackson Holiday, you bring him up, Tyler, like he's on everybody's mind, but he is included in the story because it is a question of, is he going to be on the Orioles opening day roster or are they going to go elsewhere? Mike Elias has talked pretty openly about Jackson Holiday is going to get a lot of run at second base, right? Like the, they have an opening at, at second base. They seems like they prefer a lefty hitter there. Jackson Holiday is a lefty hitter. So he's going to get a lot of opportunities to win that job, but he still has to do it. Um, so we'll, we'll be keeping a close eye on Jackson Holiday for sure. Um, another one that two more that I don't think are necessarily below the radar, uh, but still somebody I'm going to keep a, a close eye on are Junior Caminero of the Tampa Bay Rays because you look at him last year, hit 31 homers uh, during his age 19 season. The Rays brought him up for the postseason. Uh, they brought him up a little bit before that as well just to get his feet wet, but then he was on the postseason roster. Hits the ball as hard as anybody in minor league baseball. Should be a player they make room for, but his best position is third base, and Isaac Paredes is coming off his own 31 homer season, uh, and he's not necessarily somebody you want to move right now. And I know there's a lot of questions about the shortstop spot. Junior Cameron Arrow played shortstop earlier in his career. Does he maybe get a look there, and you kind of just shrug away the defense because the bat is so good? I don't know. We'll see how that's going to work out for Cameron Arrow. I think he's good enough to play in the major leagues every day right now, though. And if you're Tampa Bay, you want those guys up. You want to maximize your offense as much as possible. So we'll see how it goes with him. He doesn't have AAA experience yet. Unlike this other guy I'm going to talk about here real quick is Wyatt Langford uh, of the Texas Rangers. Last year's number four overall pick. Uh, obviously climbed very quickly through the Rangers system, reached AAA at the end of last year, slugged above 600 everywhere he played, showed really good swing decisions, was always in the conversation for the number one prospect in the 2023 draft. Um, but, you know, Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, the two LSU stars, Max Clark went ahead of them. So the Texas Rangers, the World Series champs, have this guy fall into their lap. They quickly pick him up. He is as good a performer in the first first, in his first season as anybody in that class. He's knocking on the door, surely. I mean, the bat looked ready at Florida, and it's certainly looking more ready now. The Rangers seem set in the outfield. I still think he's their one of their three best outfielders. I would... Put Leote Tavares on the bench. I know he's really good defensively and was about a league average bat last year, but put Evan Carter in center, Wyatt Langford in, in left, and Adolis Garcia in right. That's a strong outfield. And Bruce Bochy has said they're open to the idea of him making the opening day roster. How open are they? Like, if he has an OPS of 1,200, like, you can probably bet he'll be on the opening day roster if he has an OPS of 700. Are they still open to it, or are they send him back to Round Rock? We'll see. One other one I'll throw out real quick. This is a non-top 100 guy, but just seems the type of player who can really seize a hot spring, and that's Victor Scott II with the St. Louis Cardinals. I know the Cardinals have center field options. It's to the point now where, like, Dylan Carlson, who was once an actual top 100 prospect, isn't 
the opening day center fielder, but Victor Scott, man, the guy can run like anybody and he can defend like anybody. He can cover the gaps exceptionally well. It's plus plus defense already. And I could see him being electric in spring, just spraying the ball everywhere, stealing a dozen bags in a dozen games. And St. Louis looks at the end of the grapefruit league and be like, how can we leave camp without this guy? I mean, he could, if he's in the majors for a full season, he could leave, lead the majors in steals. I, I have no doubt about that. Maybe he doesn't get on base enough as he adjusts with the bat, but like there are certain parts of his game that are absolutely majorly ready. And I could see it happening where he gets just hot enough to really force St. Louis's hand. And this is a year they're trying to bounce back. They can't afford to leave their best guys, you know, in Memphis. So if they think he's a better option than Dylan Carlson, maybe Victor Scott, the second makes the team. And that would, that would bring a lot of electricity to St. Louis. All right, Sam, as we get close to uh, to minor league opening day coming up in April, there is a story out from uh, Baseball America and J.J. Cooper that the complex leagues, the Florida and Arizona complex leagues, uh, apparently could be moving up by about a month. Last year, those two leagues started on June 5th. They went through August 22nd. Uh, this year, according to this report, they'll start on May 4th and they will finish on July 25th. Um, that obviously is a, is a big change for, you know, we used to call short season ball, but the complex leagues now are kind of the only remnant of short season ball. Um, according to the report, all 30 teams discussed changes to the complex leagues, uh, last season and farm directors voted to move the season up, uh, for some various reasons. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is you really go from a league that is kind of set for the idea of draft players jumping in and getting their first taste of pro ball to now it's going to be a lot more structured toward international players seemingly uh, coming into pro ball uh, and getting that look in the States for the first time earlier. Walk us through uh, what these changes might mean. Yeah. I mean, this, this is kind of a waterfall effect, right? Of they're not being short season leagues anymore outside of the complex leagues. Um, so you have these guys who are in extended spring training for a lot or for a while. Um, you have fewer spots for them to go. Either they're getting pushed to single A early, and we've seen a ton of that uh, the last few years, or they're languishing in, in extended. They might be too good for extended. Like there's just so many factors here. And the fact that if you were getting to the end of the complex league season before, you would have guys on that roster who maybe couldn't pitch because they were recent draft picks um, who, you know, had pitched a ton in college or pitched a bunch in high school and you didn't want to tax their arms anymore. Uh, so now this is giving more opportunities to DSL guys um, and allowing them to get those innings in May instead of, you know, again, like in August when their their arms are already going through it. We'll see how this is going to kind of work. Um, I mean, I'm I'm fascinated, and J.J. Cooper notes this in his story, the fact that if the season is wrapping on July 25th, there's still potentially going to be draft signings after that. Um, so what happens to those guys in terms of starting their Rule 5 clock? It seems like MLB is going to you know, plug some of the holes in that rule, so that won't necessarily be an issue. But normally you have to be assigned to a team during its season for your Rule 5 clocks uh, season to, or your Rule 5 clock to start. So that's going to be kind of fascinating. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm all for like short season ball starting earlier. And so we're not waiting to see some of these guys come up from the DSL for two months. Starting that one month into the season, it's going to get us answers on some of these players a lot faster. And that's certainly exciting to me because there are a lot of really interesting guys coming up from the DSL this year. Um, but, you know, I, how is it going to affect draft picks? we're going to have a little bit less data on some of these guys. You know, it's, it, it's, I, I'm not one who usually looks super hard into what happens after a draft uh, season, especially in the complex leagues. If you're a guy who's played in the sec and you get sent to the Florida complex league, it, like that's a step down for me. I, you could destroy the league, but that doesn't tell me much. Or if you don't do well, well, you played 50, 60 games of, of college ball, you might be fatigued at that point. So that doesn't tell me much either. Um, there are some exceptions like Wyatt Langford we talked about earlier, but he was reaching triple A. He wasn't in the complex level anymore. So I think this is going to be, you know, it, it's one way to kind of see through this change of, yeah, it's more opportunities for DSL guys, but I think it's going to take a few years until we see really how it affects 
how we view prospects and and how it affects their development. So uh, some changes coming here in this 2024 minor league season. The stories about spring breakout and the prospects to watch a big league camp are up at MLB Pipeline right now. And uh, we'll step aside. Josh Jackson stops by with Ghosts of the Miners next. And then we're back to wrap up this week's episode of the show before the show. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club or player hiding amidst the fraudulent pair one once tried to win the whole thing the others were never anything in the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Kilgore Boomers. B. The Dresden Millennials. C. The Fort Riley Xers. I heard you loud and clear if you picked A. The Kilgore Boomers. You'd think they were okay boomers, but they weren't from Oklahoma. Instead, they represented a rapidly growing Lone Star town some 70 miles over the border from Shreveport, Louisiana in the East Texas League for a couple years before the Second World War. Kilgore was originally an 1870s railroad town, but underwent a slick rebrand as an oil burg with the nearby discovery of black gold in the fall of 1930. Indeed, the city had burst onto the ball field not as the boomers, but as the gushers in 1931, and later would dig in as the drillers. But with the formation of the East Texas League in 1936 came a new franchise in Kilgore, which had a steeply declining population, some have it below 500, at the time of the oil strike, but skyrocketed its way to becoming a bustling metropolis of over 6,000 souls by 1940. And so, the Kilgore Club of 1939 busted out with a new moniker, the Boomers. The Boomers Ball Club was a boon to Kilgore, but it just about killed and gored the rest of the league right away. The 1939 team, featuring Red Hot Eddie Knobloch and Vance Scrivener Randolph and managed by Jimmy Dalyrimple, went 80-59, and besting every other East Texas squad save the slippery Henderson Oilers, who wound up four and a half games ahead of the Boomers. The Oilers, though, went bust in the finals when the Boomers got into their group, sweeping Henderson four games to none. For that 39 season, the Kilgore team had begun operating under a working agreement with the St. Louis Cardinals, and although Randolph and Dalyrimple stuck around, some of those Boomer baby birds flew the Kilgore coop. First baseman Ray Sanders promptly moved up to Columbus and broke through with the Cardinals to start a seven-year big league career within a couple seasons. Catcher Clyde Klutz caught on with the Boston Braves in 42 and played over 650 big league games. With such talent popping up to the majors, the Boomers bloomed again the next spring, but you couldn't say they blossomed or burned as brightly as they had in 39. In fact, with a 55-78 record, although there were three teams worse, the Boomers bottomed out, missing the playoffs. But two of the teams the Boomers were better in bottomed out even worse, folding midseason. And at a meeting in March of 1941, the whole league agreed to disband. And that's how the Kilgore Boomers fell silent. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these players ignited a sense of righteousness in the miners of yesteryear? A. Flame Merritt. B. Ash Honor. C. Smoke Justice. Want to know the answer? Spark your mind. Or tune for the next Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hale is getting ready for February break, and I've got to hold it together. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to Josh Jackson for stopping by with Ghosts of the Miners. Um... That'll pretty much do it. I'm going to have nightmares about the uh, the Michigan Battle Cats logo, like, coming to life and eating me. Um, anyway, what are you guys going going on this weekend? You want to hang out? <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not anywhere close to you. 
I'm in the middle of top 30 season right now. That's that's right around the corner for us at MLB Pipeline. So I'll yeah, be turning wow. out blurbs and rankings and confirming things. And um, so I'm, I'll am i be in the thick of it uh, for much of the weekend. Uh, probably going to be posting up at the public library for part of that, which is closed on Sundays here in New York. And if there's one thing I, I wish would change about New York City, it's to open the libraries up on Sundays again. But, um, you know. That's that's probably what I'm gonna be doing. Ben, it's it's technically a long weekend. Monday is a holiday. Yeah, it's President's Day weekend, and yeah. I don't really have too many plans either. It's a kind of dead time of year, a little bit of a calm before the storm type of feelings. So, uh, not too much. You know, I took last Monday off, and I saw a great documentary on the Italian film composer uh, Ennio Morricone. So, I think anyone uh, is into movies and movie music, uh, go check that out. I want to give a cultural recommendation every week. I think I'm going to start doing that because my tastes are impeccable and I don't talk about it enough. So <laughs> go see that movie if you like to see a great movie. Man, now I talked myself, <laughs> myself up and then just totally You respected it, you man. too much. Yeah. What was uh, the name uh, of that documentary? Ben, ben was on his high horse after being the quiz master. And <laughs> yeah. then all of a sudden now he's... <laughs> In the spotlight himself, yeah. which, by the way, is a team name that kind of surprises me has not been used by a minor league team like, uh, you know, Wichita Falls High Horses or something. Yeah, like that. I'm, I'm imagining be. the logo right now. <laughs> Just a horse with very long legs. Um, do you remember the name of uh, of this documentary? It was just called Ennio. Okay. Cool. I actually, you know, I, I've heard about him. I mean, I've been aware of him and, you know, he has such a gigantic uh, long, uh, he died a few years ago, but scored hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies. Uh, yeah. Probably the most iconic is the Sergio Leone spaghetti Westerns, you know, that kind of stuff, yeah. but amazing body of work. But I, I just would read his name and not hear how it was said. So even buying the ticket, I was like, uh, can I get a ticket for uh Ennio, is that how you say it? And the woman working there was just like, she's like, I don't know. She's like, I don't know. Like, go away. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, well, oh, hey, oh, I, oh, and yeah. the guy at the, I went to the film forum to see this movie. The guy at the concession stand was wearing a Norwich Sea Unicorn. No shirt. way. Oh, there you so go. There you go. Wow. That's why it all ties in. That's why it all ties into my league baseball. Finally, I stuck the landing. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's uh, that's one of those ghost teams that never played uh, under the affiliated banner with which it was rebranding them and uh, the Missoula Paddleheads. Was there anybody else in that 2020 season? I feel like there was one other team maybe that rebranded and then we didn't see. Those two for sure. There might be another one. We'll have we'll to think about this. That'll be the topic of next week's quiz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, I have to give a self-promotional plug uh, before we get out of here. Coming up on Friday the 23rd, uh, so the date of the release of the next episode of the show before the show podcast, uh, I will be back on MLB Network, very excited, for the 2024 Andre Dawson Classic. Uh, super pumped for that. I'll be uh, doing both ends of that doubleheader alongside Xavier Scruggs. Um, we will get a chance in game one uh, to see Alabama State and Southern. Game two is Florida AM and Grambling. All kinds of special guests are going to be coming through. Uh, so that's coming up on MLB Network on the 23rd. Uh, very excited about that. And that's it. That'll do it. Thanks to everybody for swinging by. And uh, for Benjamin Hill, Sam Dykstra, Josh Jackson, and all the rest, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll catch you next week. Oh, 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 oh,